All right. So today we're doing create your own religion. And related to this is also create your own psychology. And they are related, they are connected in a number of ways. And this idea for me comes across from an idea that I got from Osho. And the way he put it was that religion needs to be born again in each individual. He makes this distinction between religion and religiousness. And it is the religiousness that we are interested in. And it is religion that is outdated, broken, insufficient, and all the rest of it. So, to sort of help, and a nice little cute metaphor that I think will help us to illustrate this idea of creating our own religion and creating our own, one's own psychology. I like to think of creating your own song. Now, in some ways, creating your own song is an art form. It is a speciality. It is for not just only musicians, but a smaller proportion of musicians, right? So within the music world, we have composers, we have creators, and we have players. But actually, if you have the right teacher and the right guidance, it is possible for you to write your own song on your very first music lesson. It is enough. There is enough already in you. There is an intuition. There is a, a vibe, a zest, a flair. However small, however undeveloped, however, we might say, not even that talented. There is something that, with the right guidance, means that you can write your own song. You can make your own song. That is the, that is the mystery of music. That is the mystery of interacting with these objects like musical instruments, the piano, the saxophone, the flute, the violin. And if you look at this, then you would say, well, okay, the new starter has made their own song and it's not very good. It's not very good because it's not. Because they don't know music, they don't know the mechanics, they don't know the ins and outs to any deep degree. So, the young musician then learns the mechanics. They learn the principles. They learn the devices that are at play. And they learn composition. And they see, well, it is a lot like maths. It is a lot like a process. It is a lot like plugging things into a formula. And that can become a very deep and winding and sort of 
<laughs> engulfing thing for a musician to embark on. They go into the world of knowledge and history and te- technicality. And in fact, it is that, well, that eventually becomes a kind of burden. That becomes a kind of hindrance. It becomes like, well, the music is too stiff. It's too mathematical. It's, it's missing that flair. What the beginner has as their advantage when they first make their first composition on their first lesson is they don't have any of that so that there, there is something, there is a whisper of originality. There is a whisper of magic. And that is something that the technician composer of music then has to learn. Again, they have to rediscover. They in some ways have to remove their technical skills to become more spontaneous, more intuitive. Because when you hear a really good song, when you hear a really like just absolute banger of a song, you don't feel the urge to analyze it. (laughs) Unless you're an analytical musician, right? Unless you're stuck in that technician phase. And it's not as though you really could analyze it, right? Like, Like, what makes that song just so incredibly good? And even with all the analysis, even with all the devices and all the identifications of progresses and pro- processes and formulas and everything, you still you still sense there's there's something in that song that is just ah, it's just oh, right. And that is exactly the same with religion and psychology. Now, to stick with just religion for a moment, what happens with religion, how religion is created, is it is not created by someone studying books and technical things and coming up with formulas and processes and then presenting that to you. Religions are always founded on someone who had a profoundly personal, unique intuition their own divine connection, their own divine spiritual experience, their own divine realization, something otherworldly. The founders of the religion would be like they turn up on their first lesson and make that first song and then boom, it's this amazing song and they don't know anything about the technicalities of music. And you just hear, whoa, that kid's got so much talent, so much zest, off the charts zest. And religion is that experience. It is that sense of life, that sense of awe, the sense of something otherworldly or beyond this world. Religion is this essence that we have within us and religion is founded by individuals who have that as their talent and really talent isn't a big enough word for it we have to we have to go into the religious vocabulary to really illustrate it right the divine messiah the chosen one god's son these sorts of the the prophet 
the heavenly body, the eternal, right? These, these really big sort of lofty nebulous words. Well, they're just trying to get at the fact that there's something in this individual which is difficult to explain. Now, on the other side of this, we have psychology. Psychology is like the musician who only use their, uses their technical skills. And they're all mathematical, right? The psychologist is trying to collect data, trying to collate it, trying to do it methodically, systematically, clearly, with control groups, with consistent questions, by defining all of the parameters, right? A developmental psychologist is going to have their questionnaire, which they ask across multiple cultures through multiple people from multiple backgrounds. And then they're going to have a clearly defined way of, well, deciding the organization of the answers, the collation of data. And they're always going to be looking out for unseen variables, right? Like, oh, what if there was a different condition? What if there was some outside influence? What if there's some parameter that we're actually not accounting for that we need to express within our data expression, our data or conclusion. And the whole thing of the psychologist is to remove their personal intuition, right? If the psychologist says, oh, I have this feeling about the data, or I had some dream about it, then that's a big no-no. That's unscientific, the psychologist removes themselves completely from their structure, from their creation. Which is the opposite of, well, a religious figure who has them at themselves at the absolute center of their religion. And it's not that they have the cent- themselves at the center of the religion because they think, oh, well, I'll put myself as boss or anything like that. <laughs> that's, not what ha- that's not what's happening at all. It is just that it, it, it is the nature of that kind of knowledge. It is the nature of that kind of insight that, well, it is personal. And when you read a good psychology, when you discover like, you know, Spiral Dynamics or an Eric Erickson or a... I'm just I'm just trying to think think of some, you know, like a Carl Jung or an Eric Byrne or an Edmund Husserl, right? Or a, or an Abraham Maslow and you read it, then it really does resonate like that really banger song. You think, "Wow, that really gets into my mind, that really gets into my motivations." I can really see so clearly the different dialogues and the different scripts and the different patterns of thought that I've had. How did he get so close into my mind? How did they see me so clearly? It resonates so much. And of course, this is an important thing to understand with our own lives, because we do need to create our own religion. We need to create our own psychology. Because what happens 
when you hear about religion and psychology is it resonates. That's great. That's wonderful. There's no underestimating. There's no overestimating. (laughs) What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say there's no need to underestimate the beauty of that. There's no need to downplay the significance that religion and psychology as things that were created by other people can play in our lives. Right? Just like the musician plays someone else's song. I can love to play someone else's song. I didn't compose it. I didn't write that song. Someone else's song. They came up with it. And I can love that song so much. I can listen to someone else's song so much. But in the case of music, you can live your life just with other people's songs. But in the case of psychology and religion, you can't. In the case of psychology and religion, you need your own. You you literally need to compose it yourself. And not entirely from scratch because you draw on what you've learned. Just like the musician uses composition devices that are in other compositions and in their previous experiences, well, they're still using that, right? And there are devices that you know about psychology, right? Developmental psychology is essentially that, well, there's a beginning state and then there's a changed state and that is contingent on a way of thinking and a set of values and a set of conditions. And you can say, well, from that, how do I populate that? Like, you can describe the starting state for yourself. And then you can describe what that changes to. And it's your description. It's your population of the structure of developmental psychology. And you can describe, well, what are the conditions? What are the mindsets? What are the values? What exactly are the values? Okay, well, if we look at developmental psychology and we say, broadly speaking, we have this difference from changing from one thing to another. Well, how? That's up to you. And this is the difference between something structurally staying as it is while you fill out the content of it. You can do the same with actualization. What is it that drove your actualization for you personally? What was your experience? It's almost like you are the psychologist on yourself. And instead of doing a questionnaire for 10,000 people and then collating the data and then delivering that to the the psychology community, you say, okay, well, here's my questionnaire and I'm the only one I question. And I present the data to myself. (laughs) And to sort of help bring this over to the religious side a little bit, then will you say, okay, well, what did the religious founders do? 
when they founded a religion? Well, they had this experience, which was life-changing to them, and very meaningful to them, and somehow otherworldly, it was very magical, it was very profound, like they heard the voice of God, or they saw God, or something like that, and then they created a story about it. They told their personal story about it. They came up with their reasons for it. They came up with the explanation for it. And then they created teachings for how people can have that experience for themselves. So, well, look at your life and say, okay, what was the most profound experience of my life? What was the most meaningful experience of my life? And what is the story that I tell of myself about that? Why did it happen? What is the explanation for it? And that is your religion, whether you know it or not. <laughs> right? People who say, oh, I don't, I don't do religion. And then you say, well, have, have you ever had ex- an experience of vast beauty? And they say, oh, yeah, I took LSD. One of the most amazing experiences of my life. I learned so much about my consciousness. And I say, well, what, what is your explanation for that? And they might say, well, I believe in biology and it was a biological process. It was a chemical process. And actually, that is just an explanation. That is just a story. Which is no, mu- no more better or worse than, oh, it was baby Jesus giving me that experience. Right? Newtonian physics is actually, it's, it's basically on the same level as, oh, baby Jesus came down with a magic wand and said, Wingardium Leviosa to me. <laughs> right? But that principle is there, that you had the experience and you tell a story about it. We can say, okay, well, that's a fundamental structure of religion. Now, how do I populate it? How do I come up with it for myself? How do I reinvent that for myself? So as to really get the juice out of it, to really know about myself, to really discover what it is that was happening there. Now, of course, also in the case of religion, it is the same as, well, learning psychology and learning composition for the musician, right? You have to go through some technical learning. You still have to say, okay, well, if a religious figure has had this experience and then they've created a practice or a process that will help me to have the same experience, I have to go and do that. This would be the equivalent of the musician saying, I need to learn some new songs. You're never going to find a musician that only does composition. Right? Any musician that composes is also going to know a lot of songs. By a long way. The better the composer, more likely, the more songs they know. Now, we leave Jimi Hendrix out of this. 
<laughs> Jimmy Jimmy Hendrix is something else. <laughs> well, I mean, he knew the songs. I mean, it, it, well, actually, that that is a good point because Jimmy Hendrix knew the songs, but he didn't know the techniques. So I'm sort of crossing my wires here. <laughs> We're getting a little bit crossed over with all the different sides of this picture, but I think you get the point. I think you see what I'm saying. And we are students of the structures of psychology. We are students of the phenomenon of religion. And yet we do need to make our own song. We do need to compose in our own way. We need to listen to that intuition. We need to listen to that thing that is within us. And in some ways, it is a diabolical contradiction that we have to learn psychology and learn history and literature and techniques and explanations and all the rest of it because that becomes a weight, that becomes something that is in the way of our intuition. And in fact, there are entire techniques and schools and processes where they're concerned with removing those things. Right? Unlearning is an approach. Unlearning is a technique unto itself. <laughs> or a school of technique or a category of techniques, because unlearning has multiple layers to it. And you sort of might think, well, well, which one is it? Am I supposed to be learning more or am I supposed to be unlearning more? Do I do one for a lot and then later I do another for a lot? Oh, it's too much. I just give up. And you realize when you reach that point, oh, it's too much, I just give up, that that's actually a technique that people have known about as well. To arrive at the point where you say, oh, I just need to give up, it's too much. That is, that is a kind of maturity. <laughs> that's almost like you write a song on your first music lesson and then your teacher says, very good. Well done for you to have come up with that. But did you know that there's actually a song that was written 40 years ago which uses that exact same trick? <laughs> this is a common thing that happens with young composers, right? And it's sort of funny because they have intuitively come up with that thing. In so many ways, it is authentically original. It really draws into this, it really draws into question like, what is original? Because the student didn't know anything and they've come up with this thing. And then all of a sudden the, the professor, the teacher has said, well, actually that song was written 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it just makes you think, doesn't it? And we do to emphasize more, need to actually practice our intuitions. We need to practice our divine experiences because these are not common experiences in some ways. 
right? There, there is such thing as a talented musician. There is such thing as someone who just doesn't get music and no amount of practice is going to help them to become a musician. They're a, they're a lost cause, or at least in that regard, right? But when it comes to humanity, when it comes to experience, there is no lost cause. There is no one without a talent. Because you can say, ah, you're not a person who's very good at music. Maybe you should do engineering. Or, oh, maybe you're a person who's not very good at engineering. Maybe you should do medicine. Ah, maybe you're not a person who's very good at medicine. Maybe you should do literature. Ah, and so on and so forth. And you might get to the point where you say, ah, well, I'm not good at anything. But you do experience. Don't you? You do experience. And experiencing is so much further beyond being a musician, an engineer, a doctor, a writer. And really, experience is the one thing you've got. In so many ways, it's the only thing you've got. And of course, when we talk about creating a religion, I don't mean having your own institution and people writing books about you and lots of followers coming to see you sit and talk. Your religion is for you. It's a very private thing. It's an individual thing. And we leave the big organizations to just a few individuals that have had a talent, that have had a outlier's perspective. Because we use those as stepping stones. We use them as something to go through. It's a phase in your life. And it might be an old song (laughs) that you love to play for many years to come. So don't think that when you make your own religion, it's any... indication of its validity as to how widely spread it is. It's no indication of its depth as to how many people catch on to it. And really, there are people with extraordinary experiences which are not widely spread. Right? There are people with their own personal individual religion and psychology which is astronomically better than anything we have that is widely spread throughout culture and history. 
So those are a few thoughts on creating your own religion and your own psychology. If you want to study developmental psychology, I'll just quickly mention that I have an online course which goes through a number of different developmental psychology systems. So you can enroll in that, become a good study, really learn the mechanics of it, and really get underway with your own intuition, your own self-knowledge, and your own experience. So there will be a link somewhere in that, and you can enroll today. So go ahead and do that, and we'll be back soon with more.